Uh, Genesis chapter 1, if you would please, as we speak on profound truths of the humanity of the risen Savior. Genesis chapter 1 is our text for today. And we'll be hitting verse 26 and 27 as well and some other verses as we go. But I want to start out with Genesis chapter 1 and read this first verse, make a comment on it, and have a word of prayer. Very familiar first verse. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's a battle today that goes on in education about, well, can you really prove that? There's no way to prove that God created the heaven and the earth. There's no way to prove evolution did. I mean, you know, science, they say evolution is science, okay. Science says that what they say is true can be demonstrated. So, as far as I know to this date, now I don't know if this has happened or not, but as far as I know it hasn't, that you can make a bunch of explosions and produce a universe and human life. I don't think that's happened yet. But what I'm saying is, is they can't demonstrate it. But guess what? One day there's going to be a resurrection. This old body's going to be put off and it's going to be created with a new body that's fashioned like into His glorious body. The Bible says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. The old heavens and the old earth will pass away with fervent heat. And we'll see an actual creation of a new heaven and earth. Created. So, when people say uh, it's not scientific, it will be demonstrated. But you see, if there's, if you can eliminate creation, and this is, this is Satan's thing. Now, people think they came up with it. Satan gave it to them every bit, and they don't know that. But when, when you try to eliminate creation, <clears throat> guess what? You're eliminating God. So, you do that. Is there a way of salvation? Is there a way of eternal life? You know, there's no God, there's no eternal life. Well, you're reading the Bible, can't Look, I've prayed too many times, asked for things specifically without asking people to pray for it and then seeing answers to it. And if God answers that way, and He does, uh, why don't you pray to the uh, outer space and just say, outer space, show that stupid preacher down there that uh, you can create a whole universe. Do another one for him. Just let him see it. It's not going to happen. But God can do it. And He did it the first time. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, <clears throat> as we think of Your great power to create, I also think of your great power to save. <clears throat> Lord, I know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I also know that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed that day on Calvary can cleanse any sinner, no matter how deep they've gone into the most terrible things of sin. And yet, Lord, that empty tomb, raising from the dead bodily to prove that what God said is true and that He can guarantee us everlasting life. Thank you for the cross. 
And thank you that that tomb today is still empty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, the title of this sermon is Profound Truths of the Humanity of the Risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, the, uh, I purposely used that word profound, uh, and, and it applies here. But you will say, well, what do you mean? How does that apply? Well, let's get a definition of, of profound. Profound is defined as uh, deep, descending far below the surface. It is beneath that which can only be seen with the eye, the surface. You can see the surface with the eye, but beneath the surface you do not see. Even, even now, I can look at you and I can guess, well, he must be thinking that, she must be thinking this, or whatever. But to be truth of it is, I can't know that. Just what you're thinking, besides he's ugly as can be. But nonetheless, <laughs> you, you're looking at me, and don't say amen to that. But uh, don't, uh, I saw the head shaking back like that, you know. Uh, but, uh, but really, the depth, the depth of the person, you don't know. Well, there's a truth of God's Word that goes far beyond the depths of a person, the depths of his truth. And so, <clears throat> when it's profound, it's not superficial, it's not obvious to the mind of man. It is something that only the Spirit of God can help us understand. And he wants you to understand these things about the resurrection, these, other, these things about his death and his burial. He wants you to understand the gospel. Now, let's go to our text that was in your bulletin, verse 26. And he says there, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. Now, there's just another note on evolution. Uh, God is a creator. And when I think of that, he's the one that made male and female. And that's all he made. Now, there are over, over, mind you, over 8 billion people on the face of this earth. And every one of them was born by a woman. How much science do you need? You know? So when you think about that, you, you realize that this world is trying to do everything against God. That's what that's all about. Look, there are a lot of those that sit in these various seats of, of leadership, of, of business and, and politics and so forth. 
But what they see in the woke culture today is the opportunity to make a lot of money. It's the opportunity to take power over what you have. And so, it's there. But we were made in the image of God. And he said, now what is that image? What Jesus said that God is a spirit. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read this. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now, man was made of the dust of the ground. That's what he told us. I believe what God says is true. He made him out of the dust of the ground. So there's a body laying there that's just a body with a soul. The body nor the soul has, have life in it. It's not there yet. But you see, God is the Spirit. God breathes into His nostrils the breath of life. And now that body and that soul has life. It's not until God breathes a spirit into his nostrils that that happens. And so then, he's full body and soul. Now, in the image of God, it's not like, say, the body of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a body when creation took place. Jesus was a part of the creation. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not, but he made the world. But see, God is the Spirit. And we think of God as the Spirit. Just realize this, that a Spirit is the real person, the real inside of the person. The body carries out things. There's the soul. The soul is the seat of your emotions and feelings. The body sometimes will react. For an example, uh, what happened in Ocala this week? Obviously, the body in several people responded in tears. With others, the body responded in anger. But there was a response to the feelings these things create. And so verse 6 says, and the Lord God commanded, I'm, I'm going to read, no, excuse me, I'm going to read from Genesis 2, verse 16, verse 16, I should say. Verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, now this is chapter 2, by the way, chapter 2, verse 16, 17. The Lord commanded uh, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Now I want you to understand, that was not speaking of bodily death. It did not mean that his body would die. It did not mean that. He's not talking about bodily death. In that day, I mean, Adam and Eve, they're the only humans at that point. No one knew what death was. I mean, they didn't see it. They had not seen an animal slaughtered. An animal would not be slaughtered until the first time Adam and Eve sinned, and the Lord would have to make skins to cover them. Man tried to do it with the fig leaf, and when man tries to do things right, he always messes up. 
And so God had to make them modest. And so God did that. But they ate. They ate their ah. But you see that word death, it doesn't mean ceasing to exist. It means separation. It always has meant that. At death, the real life, the spirit, separates from the body. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 tells us that it goes back to the spirit. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. You know, there's a lot going on about abortion today. David, King David, in the psalm said, I was conceived in sin. You know what that means? That means at the very moment of conception, a spirit was given to that baby in the womb. That baby would develop, but one thing, from Adam and Eve, because of their sin, God created, man procreates. We produce children. We don't create the spirit of the child, but that child does receive from us our sin nature. Anything received from God is always holy, never wrong. And so, when your body dies, your spirit separates and it goes to be with God. Now, see, Adam did die that, that very day he sinned. Now, he lived 90, 930 years after that. You say, well, how did he die? Because he was separated from God at that moment. Remember, God spoke to him in the cool of the day. But this time, they were hiding from God. They had sinned. And so, he tried to hide from him. He was separated from God. He was doomed. He was doomed to die, to be separated from God forever. In the same place that Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 said that God made for the devil and his angels. He said in Matthew 25 41 that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. The angels, the devil, their spirits, powerful spirits. But that place was made to torment them forever. In a place where there's no ceasing to exist. In a place where there's never ever a chance to escape. And that place would torment those super spirits. Think of what it does with the human spirit. And yet, they were duly, truly warned by God. In the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Now, I do think that that day they, Satan tempted them. He'd already made many angels fall. At least one-third of the angels, I think it is, uh, as I read in Revelation, had fallen with him. But think of that. Those angels had fallen with Satan. There's a great punishment for him. But I kind of believe that when he led Adam and Eve, now Eve sinned because she was deceived. Adam sinned presumptuously. He knew it was wrong, just going in, not deceived. 
But nonetheless, he sinned. I believe that if he does, if there's not a Savior, Adam's been in hell ever since he, his body died and the Spirit separated from his body. But there is a Savior. There is a Savior. And so Ecclesiastes 12, 7 said that day that he did die, his Spirit went to be with the Lord because there would be a Savior for him. And we found that in Genesis chapter uh, 3 as well. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God will promise a seed, and we'll go to that in a little bit, but God will promise a seed to the woman that would be the Savior. But see, for right now, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can know Him. But see, it's not like a store display. It's not like a TV advertisement. No, this is knowing Him, receiving Him into your life as your personal God and Savior, knowing Him personally. And what you have to do is repent and believe that the gospel of the death of Jesus Christ meant for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. That He died, bodily died. But three days later, He rose up victoriously over hell and the grave. As a matter of fact, it says he even preached to the spirits down there. Yes, he arose bodily. He was God who took on a human body and a human spirit. Tempted for the 33 and a half years he lived on the face of this earth, tempted. Satan wanted to make him fall, did everything to try to make him fall. And he didn't. That's the only way one could qualify to be a sacrifice for the sin of mankind. So God, with Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, made this determination. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5 tells us that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay the entire penalty for all sin, for all time. He is the Son of God who died for us. But oh, the importance, and by the way, the importance is that it's a physical importance because there's an empty tomb there. He rose up from the dead. He rose up. You see, the penalty for our sins was death. It's that final complete separation from God forever in that lake of fire. We had to have someone who would die for us as a human being and represent the human race, and Jesus did that. And he paid our penalty in full with the full outpouring of the almighty wrath of the Father upon his only begotten Son that we might have everlasting life. You know, all of us have heard the term the Trinity probably. The Trinity. 
the definition of the Trinity is three divine persons in one divine essence. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. The three are of one divine essence. A plan was made, we're told back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, even before the world was created. It states in verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not uh, redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. The vain conversation was received by the tradition from your fathers. No. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ. Oh, there's so many traditions that's been passed down through the years that are not in line with the Word of God. But this was the payment, the blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Those Old Testament sacrifices, they had to go through a very thorough examination by the high priest to make sure there was not a spot or anything wrong with that lamb. They tested everything they could test before they'd say, okay, this could be the sacrificial lamb. Our sin offering. But we also find that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. He'll later tell us in Hebrews. And so from the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world is where it happened. Of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who barely was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, us. Remember God said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity is talking together. What is God? A spirit. That's why you are a spirit with a body and soul. You're not a body and soul with a spirit. You are a spirit. They that worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth, if you're going to worship Him rightly. And so, He said, let us. It's an interesting thing, studying the Hebrews studies of which I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I do trust the people that study it, uh, that I know that are solid people. But they said that that word there, uh, us, is a plural, which can be one, two, or three or more, or two or three or more. It's a plural, so it's two or three or more. Most often it was applied in this Hebrew as three or more, but it could be two or more, but it's three or more. And it's followed by a singular verb, which it is, let us make. It makes those three of one essence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I said it'd be a little bit profound, and it is. But know your God. Know who He is. 
And when you understand that, you begin to see that. Then you see God's purpose. You see the Trinity involved in your salvation. You see the reason for Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35, where he says, The angel appeared unto Mary. And see, he appears to, appears unto her about bearing Jesus. And he says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Remember Genesis 3.15? He promised Eve that a Savior would come, would be the seed of a woman. Wait a minute, the seed comes from the man. But you see, the Holy Spirit came upon her. Informing the gospel that would save our souls first, a seed had to be formed, and the Holy Spirit formed that seed inside of Mary. And so, the seed of a woman, he would bruise Satan's head. I think of Golgotha. I know I've shared this with our folks before, but David killed Goliath. David was representing God. He wasn't God, but he was representing God. He was filled with the Lord, with the Spirit of God, to fight this fight. Goliath is this mighty warrior, this giant. David, just a teenage boy. And David, in the name of the Lord, slays Goliath that day, kills him takes Goliath's sword and takes his head off. And it's so interesting to find that David took all the armor of Goliath and gave it to King Saul. But the skull, the head, he carried away to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? David lived in Bethlehem. That's where he came from. I believe he took it to Jerusalem, and I believe that it was probably buried on Golgotha, Calvary's hill where Christ would die for our sin, and when he gave up the ghost, his spirit leaving that body, that foot came down and it bruised the Lord's heel, but it bruised Satan's head. Victory, the way of salvation, is accomplished. The woman must be a woman, because it must be, of virgin birth. Verse 32 said, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. You know that word son means, is a Greek word huios, which means uh, the seed. The Holy Spirit formed that seed inside of Mary. But then there's something else that happens after that. Because, you see, the Trinity is involved in the birth, let alone the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, involved in the birth. And you say, well, how is that possible? Hebrews 10, 5, Wherefore, when He, that is Jesus Christ, cometh into the world, 
He says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou, who is thou? That's the Father. Hast thou prepared me? The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and forms a seed inside Mary. Then the Father comes and starts to form the body. And for the next nine months, that body would be uh, formed by the Father and would even be drawn out as, as uh, Psalms 22 tells us, Jesus on the cross saying, Thou hast drawn me from my mother's womb. All of that involved in the cross, the cross of Christ for you and for me. And so Jesus dies that day on the cross. So many, so many movies and other things and scientific studies, just what they had to go through and suffer in that. And, and obviously it's very a terrible thing. But then you see, all that goes back to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But you know what? I want you to see something else from John chapter 17. Not just that, but uh, 3, 16, but chapter 17, verse 23. Jesus is now praying. Most of us to it as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ because he's making his final intercession before the cross. Soldiers are already on their way. In the next minutes, they'll be taking him away. And in his prayer, how does he pray? Knowing what's going to happen? Knowing that the something that he hates more than he'd hate anything ever is my sin, your sin, our sin, the sin of the whole world placed on him who knew no sin and he would die for us. And so in his prayer, he says, speaking of the people who would receive him, I in them and thou, that is Father, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And I like this last phrase. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. I can't fathom that. It was my sin. And yet the Father loves me as he loved his only begotten Son who died for our sins. Think of that death. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised 
for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, that is the Father, hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can you not see the love of God? And what does it mean in your faith and faithfulness to him, in obedience to him? Verse 10, boy, of that same 53rd chapter says it this way, yet, and this is speaking of the Father, yet it pleased the Lord, the Father, to bruise him, his only begotten Son. Why? Because when he saw our sin on him, his attitude about sin never changed. God is holy. And it took the full outpouring of wrath upon the human spirit of Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin. Oh, those two thieves that died on the cross beside him, that was very painful to the body's death, just as painful as Jesus' was. But the greater pain was on the human spirit of Christ that no man in this life has ever known. And he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, it was his son. It was agreed on in the Trinity before the foundation of the world to carry this out. I want to give this illustration and then we'll be closing up on this. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to read the story of a very sad story. There's a man that operated the bridge that would rise up and go down of train tracks. When, when a boat would be coming and it needed to get through, it raised it up so the boat could come through. Now, it had to hold the boat up if there was a train coming. Well, the, the day was coming that a train was coming. He had left the track up, but he knew there's time to let it go back down. That particular day, he had brought his little boy with him to work. And he let the boy, he had lifted the track up because he wanted his little boy to be able to see it as it raises and everything goes. And he stood out there and held his hand and all that. But now he knows it's getting time for that train to come by. So he walks back in with his little boy into the room there and he starts to adjust things for that to go down. <clears throat> and with him doing that work, the little boy had slipped outside. As the track comes down and he sees it's going to make it, he looks for his boy. He's out, he runs out. And down there in the gears of that, that little boy has fallen and is crushing his son to death. The guy can't save him now. He can't jump down there. He's crushed. How did that little boy cry? What did that little boy do? I don't know. His father couldn't hear him with all that noise going on. 
story says, when the tracks came down, the man looked out, and as the trains that slows down to go over the tracks at that point, could see through the windows of this passenger train. People laughing, people having, reading their newspapers and other things that they would do. And he said to himself, they don't realize the price I just paid for my children, for my child, my son. They, they have no idea that they're alive. They just don't know. And maybe that's the trouble with the world today. I think of the Father as he's pouring out his wrath on the human spirit of Jesus Christ. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Father had always sent angels to minister to him in the wilderness, in, in Gethsemane. The angels would come to minister, but there's no help at all for that to encourage him. He must take it all. To pay the penalty for our sin. First, if you're already saved, if you know Christ your Savior, you knew if you died today that heaven's your home. There's two or three things. First, be faithful. Be faithful to God's house. Be a faithful parent. What you saw this week, I don't want to get on the parents. I just want to say there's something that went wrong. Be faithful. Be faithful to God's house. You know, he said not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Some think, well, as long as I go once a week, that's fine. That's not what God said. It may be fine with you. But it's not going to be fine when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ and see all the loss of reward. It's not going to be fine if you have children that end up in hell or grandchildren that end up in hell because you wouldn't be faithful and you wouldn't be a witness to them. That's the second thing. Be a witness of this gospel. Jesus come to say that's what he wanted out. You see, the seed that he mentioned there, you become a seed of the Holy Spirit working in your heart the gospel, and you receive him. You have a new nature, a new spirit. You have that new in you. A new life. An everlasting life. Give that to others that they may know. Let's have a love in our heart that's willing to share that gospel. Finally, let me close it out with this thing here. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home. What I just told you is the truth. It's from the Word of God. There's too many things that happened. Do you realize that it was on the cross? It was on the cross. He cried out, my God, and it happens. In Psalm 22, it mentions it'll happen, and it does happen. A thousand years later, it happened. He warns us ahead of time. 
Every prophecy of his first coming was fulfilled. Now, my friend, you know that Jesus came to die. He was buried and he rose up bodily from the grave in order to ensure that you could have everlasting life. But your part is to uh, realize, number one, I'm a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ. None of us measure up to him. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That's final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. I can't pay that penalty on my own. I can't do enough works good enough to desert, so I could deserve to go to heaven. I can't do that. No, neither can you. None of us can. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. That's why there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And if sinners will plunge beneath that flood, they'll lose all their guilty stains. He will save you. He will save you. If you'll come to him in repentance and faith, saying, Lord, cleanse me of my sin. I want to give you my life. Make me what you want me to be, but please save me. And he will. He will. Let's bow our heads, please.